0: Good morning, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. A lot of ground to cover today. Uh, A little bit later on, we're going to be talking about the efforts to repeal Obamacare at the 10 o'clock segment of the program. All right. It is Barack Obama of eight days. Yes, a week from tomorrow Officially, there is the transition of power. We're going to discuss whether the Obama presidency was or was not a success. And, of course, at 1130 this morning, as, this morning, as we do at 1130 every Thursday morning, it's Pop Culture Corner. And today's, today's Pop Culture Corner is – it is an homage – to the Green Bay Packers and the big game they've got coming up in uh, Dallas on Sunday that you can hear here on News Radio 620 WTMJ. We start off the program as we do every day, though, with three big things, things that I think are interesting, things that, you know, if you want to talk about stuff with your co-workers at the coffee closet or at the water cooler or at lunch, these are some things that I think are provocative, especially if you're in one of those workplaces and, and you're that agitator that you want to get a response. That's what this is all about. All right, first up, The aftermath of the Donald Trump press conference. Now, we carried a good portion of it. And I will say this. I have been watching presidential press conferences since I was a little tyke. I don't think I have ever seen a press conference like that. Um, But, of course, you've never seen a president or a president-elect like Donald Trump. Um, You know, he – he he decided he was going to come on, and he was in full sort of campaign mode. First of all, you've got you know the, the cheering section. You know he's got a gallery of supporters and people that are there, and they're they're applauding at different things. You know you you, you never see that in in press conferences. You know held typically, but you know, Donald Trump had that. Furthermore, that the same attitude that Donald Trump had towards the media in the campaign, he continues to bring towards the media. Um, now that he has been elected president, and there's all this consternation. I mean, if you if you follow the different stories today, the, the debate in the mainstream media, and I would say ninety percent of ninety percent of the coverage, surprise, follow surprise, is critical of Donald Trump for being critical of the mainstream media, and the big brouhaha, of course, developed with CNN and Buzzfeed. You probably have been following the story thus far. There is. Some retired spy, who was commissioned over a year ago to do opposition research to try to dig up dirt on Donald Trump. So the guy goes out and he finds various quote unquote sources who just make all sorts of allegations about Trump, most of which, if not all of which, are completely untrue. This retired spy puts these all in a report that he then – and again, he's been paid for this. You know, it, it goes to some Republican operatives. It goes to Democratic operatives. It has been floating – and then it gets circulated. So it has been floating around in media and government circles for months, months and months and months, and because it's all a load of hooey. All this stuff is, is unverifiable or unverified, and many of the things are patently untrue. So, I mean, no responsible media outlets have, have gone with this. So, nevertheless, what happens is CNN gets wind that the intellig- as part of one of these briefings, these intelligent briefings that Donald Trump gets, um, CNN gets wind of the fact that they, they brought up the issue of the report with him. Do you know that there's the, this, this report that's out there? You know, here, here's, here's the summary of it. And CNN reports that Trump was briefed on this. Now, CNN doesn't put the 35-page report containing all these lies out there. But they do say there's this report. He was briefed on this. And then they subsequently say, and BuzzFeed, which is this sort of media outlet, BuzzFeed has, is, has published the thing. All right. Now, the initial CNN reports didn't make mention of the BuzzFeed, but subsequent ones did. BuzzFeed, which again is this website, they published the entire thing. And their justification is this is unverified. We know there's all these salacious things that are in there. We know a lot of the stuff that we have tried to verify is untrue, but we're going to put it up there anyways and let you decide. It's like saying... All right, I have somebody that's called in and told me all. that there's all, you need to know all these things about your producer, Hondo. You, you should know this. he's done this and that and the other stuff, and there's no proof of any of this. But it's like me then saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to broadcast this in its entirety. And I have no proof as to whether or not it's true or not, but it's out there, and you can decide for yourself. So Trump goes on the offensive yesterday. He goes after BuzzFeed for putting the report out. And then goes after CNN for telling people that he was briefed on the report. And and what Trump is essentially saying is okay, CNN didn't publish the report. But what they did is by making reference to this and later on alluding that BuzzFeed had put it out there, that they had generated interest in it and they drove people to it. In other words, gee, Gene Miller's got something on his blog. I don't think there's anything that's true there, and I'm not going to publish the stuff, but it's on his blog. And the argument is uh, what CNN did was to drive people to the false news. This is, of course, the big story today, Trump versus the media. The media is fighting back, saying, oh, this is just terrible that Donald Trump is picking on us. All right, big story number one. I want to open up the phone lines. Our numbers are 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll Free Talk line. Is Trump going too far in taking on the media over this, or has he picked another winner issue? And does he have a legitimate beef about Fake news, and is he right to be upset with places like CNN? 414 799 1620 800 877 1620. And in cases like this, who's going to come out on top? The media or Donald Trump? We discuss in less than two minutes. 414 799 1620 800 877 1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Toll Free Talk Line. Were you glad to see Trump go after the media, or is this, oh, here he goes again? We discuss in two minutes. It's eight forty one, Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. Eight forty four, Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Our top big one first big story of the day. Donald Trump takes on the mainstream media. Is this a winning strategy? Scott and Racine. Scott, you're first. Good morning. Good morning. What do you think?
1: Well, as Donald Trump opens himself up to a lot of criticism. I think it's good that we finally have someone who calls the media out on the carpet for producing and putting out stuff that just isn't true.
0: Yep. The fake news. Correct. And and see, I mean, I understand that, for example, CNN is, is trying, in this particular case, they're trying to distinguish themselves. We're, we're not BuzzFeed. You know, we, we didn't do what they did, and it's unfair to lump us into that. And and to the extent, even if there's any merit to that, the bottom line is the media is the media. And that's why when you have these different media outlets that do stuff like this, it reflects on all of them. And they just, I don't think, gets that get that at all still.
1: No, I, I completely agree with you. It, it puts, you know, people like you guys in a bad light and it shouldn't. But unfortunately, no. you know, when Donald Trump speaks, he lumps it all together for the most part.
0: Right. And and I mean, thanks. And again, I, I think he I mean, CNN, in my opinion, is not without fault here. I mean, I understand that they're saying we just reported on the fact that there was a salacious report that had unverified details and that it was presented to Trump we didn't actually say what those details are and we didn't report the details but okay and and there there is a point to that but only to a certain extent it's sort of like and and look if if i say all right there is a report that is out there and I'm not going to talk about it because I am uncomfortable with the material, but it is readily available on the Internet. The truth is I know that I am going to drive people to that report. And I guess I don't know that it's – I think that you can simply, if you're CNN, wash your hands of this by saying, well, we, we didn't actually say what the details are. We just said that there was the report, and then we let people find it on, on their own. All right, that's that's – yes, it is a distinction – But uh, is it really that much of a difference? And to the extent it is, okay, fine. Maybe people will think it's a huge difference. But the reality is it lumps, again, all of the mainstream media into these things. And candidly, I think the story should be – what a sleazy thing BuzzFeed did in reporting this type of stuff. I mean, I've never heard of – I have never heard of any legitimate journalist claiming, gee, this is now going to be our standard. We get these unsubstantiated reports, and we are going to put it out there. We're going to put it out there. It might have be libelous. It might be defamatory. We're going to put this stuff out there knowing a lot of it is untrue and knowing we can't prove any of the rest of it and just let people decide. Well, um, okay. Mike in Burlington. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Morning. What do you think? Uh,
2: Well, my biggest complaint, whether or not CNN is right or wrong or the way it was reported, the way Donald handled it is childish. And he's got to learn to be presidential. He he is far from it. The way he speaks to people and what he says, he used the word crap.
0: Please, yep, I've never, I've, I I have never heard a president, a president, president or president elect use the word crap. <laughs> no, it, it's just. You, you know what the truth? You, you know the truth and, is, Mike. We were carrying that press conference yesterday, and uh, we we have a seven second delay here, or six second delay, or whatever. Um, And normally when you're in press conferences and things like that, you don't worry about it. I will tell you the honest-to-goodness truth. When I saw him starting to get worked up about that, I actually was leaning forward with my hand kind of by our button, because I I was sitting there thinking, if the president-elect used a word that we're not allowed to use on the radio, do I have to hit the delay button? (laughs) Honest-to-goodness, I had that thought running through my mind. (laughs)
2: Yeah, the point is, it's just so unpresidential. And unsophisticated when he speaks, and you're going to turn off people, even your own supporters, because it's it's rather embarrassing to hear somebody speak like that, especially somebody from power. Now, do you think that was that, the
0: reaction? though? Because I have to tell you, my sense is among uh, among the people that voted for Trump, if there's anything that's less pop, any institution that's less popular than, than maybe he would be, it, it, it's it's the media. My sense was, most of the people were saying, you go get them, you know, we don't trust the media, they've been getting away with this whatever for a long time, go get them, tell it like it is, and go after them.
2: Yeah, but there's a right and a wrong way to do it. Mm -hmm. And to make yourself look smaller than them, you're not going to win.
0: Do you think he should have taken questions from the CNN guy that he shut? they got into that shouting match at the end of the press conference?
2: Well, first of all, you don't get into a shouting match at a press conference with the media. Okay, there's ways to handle it, and that's One of those things I'm speaking about, he just doesn't have that presidential stature up there. And I'm embarrassed when he speaks up there. And I think down the road, we've got at least four years of hearing him speak like that. People are just going to be—I mean, there's going to be times he's going to say things that he can't get away from. And it's it's just—it's very embarrassing. Thanks for
0: calling. Well, I mean, there's there's no question. This is a—I mean— i mean we we are talking about now i i mean candidly, I think he came out on top yesterday i, I mean I think you know in in a battle, but in, in this case in this case, somehow the mainstream media has been able to turn Donald Trump into a victim because that that that's really it I mean you've got this report i mean imagine if imagine if there was a report out about you that had that was completely and totally false that had all these terrible things in it, and you know you Turn on WTMJ radio one morning, and you find that it, it's these details are all being reported, um, and the justification is, well, we know it's not true, or we haven't been able to verify it, but somebody told us this. So, I mean, I think in this particular case, that the way the media, whether it's BuzzFeed or whether they're aided and abetted by CNN, I mean, they have they have ad- actually managed to make Donald Trump uh, a victim, and so. I guess, I mean, I think he came out ahead in that press conference yesterday in this particular case, four one four Let's talk to um, Charlotte in northern Illinois. Charlotte, good morning. You're on 620 Hi. WTMJ.
3: I think CNN and BuzzFeed, these, these people are a disgrace. Uh, America has a blessed freedom of the press, Bill of Rights, First Amendment, uh, which m- most countries around the world do not have, freedom from government, uh, dictates, and, and they have misused this freedom. I think it's, it's appalling.
0: Do you see a distinction between what CNN did and what BuzzFeed did? CNN says, hey, we, we, we just said that there was this report that was out there. We didn't present the details. It's not fair to lump us in with the people who did publish the details.
3: Well, I, maybe you could explain it better than I, I could. Right. But, uh, you know, one more thing, Jeff, um, fake news uh, remember that disabled reporter that supposedly Donald Trump right, made yeah, th- fun of? Since
0: the campaign, right? And he's Even been denied. that
3: was questioned. Uh, some people did a little more research, Ann Coulter, Dennis Prager, Pierce Morgan. Uh, first of all, he, Donald Trump has never made fun of disabled people in the past. The reporter's disability was a limp arm. And uh, Donald Trump used some kind of a body motion, yep. which he has used in other situations. But the new mainstream media is so after him and so against him. They'll use anything to uh, make him look bad. Well,
0: and that's, of course, I mean, thanks to Kalashnikov. I mean, that's, of course, the, the basis for the, the Meryl Streep attack at the Golden Globes. And, I mean, Trump has always said, no, that, that's." I wasn't making, I wasn't mocking the disability. You know, you, you saw that in campaign ads, too. 414 799 1620 800 877 1620. That's the Accident Mortgage toll free talk line. Let's talk to Josh in Wawatosa. Josh on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
1: Yeah. Um, my whole thing is, I. I'm an independent, and I did uh, not vote for Trump simply due to the fact that immediately as a journal I was a journalism major in college
4: mm-hmm. and
1: I'm sure you as a journalist it may fear make a little have you may make you have a little bit of fear based on the fact that most authoritarian leaders in this, in the world have done this exact or this exact thing when they uh, mm-hmm. took power was to de- delegitimize the media
0: and does the media I play a, like a role is- in that though I mean for example yeah, I mean, for example, so with, what Buzzfeed did. You know, if you went to journalism school, I mean, I, I got—I can't believe that any legitimate journalist would be taught that. Here, you—you you go with a salacious, defamatory report that you can't sure. confirm. Yeah.
1: However, before any of this was going on, even when he was just starting to become, you know, the front runner for the Republican Party, he was already doing delegitimization yep. of the media, saying, "Don't listen to what they say; it's all lies." Yep. Um, and then he, and then with the. Uh, Saying that don't listen to what happens with the outcome of the election because it's all going to be.
0: Right, yeah. Right, yeah, it's it's all rigged.
1: Everything he was doing was trying to delegitimize every part of what we do as a. Free nation well
0: there, there is such to me this whole thing there 's been such a, and i 'm sure political scientists will write books about this going forward that there 's such this, this irony because in many respects, Donald Trump is a media creation i mean you you look at all when he was running in the Republican primary all the the free media the free attention he got, the glowing attention he got sure. that I, I think gave him kind of a leg up over you know perhaps some of the other Republican candidates who were trying to get noticed and then of course the media turned on him it, it, it's an, it is an interesting. An interesting world that's out there. I, I think here, here's what I think. Is, I mean, I understand both sides of this particular issue. Yesterday, I think Donald Trump comes out ahead because the, the publication and the dissemination of this report, which is false, ends up making him the victim. BuzzFeed, what they did was despicable. I don't know that I buy the distinction that CNN is trying to make. It, again, uh, you know, there, there's all sorts of analogies that are out there. I didn't scream fire in the crowded theater, but I shouted, somebody else says they see a fire. And I, I think that the truth is, if the mainstream media is going to be relevant, they have to realize that they've got a president-elect who's going to call them out, sometimes right, sometimes wrong, but who's going to call them out. And, you know, maybe you need to kind of go back to journalism one one, on 101 and sort of figure out, all right, what, what are the standards? Where are the lines? Do those lines still exist? Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Big story number two. It is the screaming headline in the local newspaper. Former Wisconsin judges seek rules on campaign donations. Fifty-four retired judges are calling on the state Supreme Court to impose a rule which would require judges to step down, recuse themselves in cases where if you're a circuit court judge, you received a donation from a lawyer, Involved in the case, in a case in front of you of more than $1,000 $2,500 for appellate judges, $10,000 for Supreme Court judges, um, and also it would apply to issue groups. Four words. Now, this is the headline screaming story in the Journal Sentinel. There will be an editorial probably tomorrow because I understand they say they're different, but they really kind of work hand in glove. There'll be an editorial tomorrow saying, oh, this is a great idea. Four words. Not going to happen. First of all, this proposal, in my opinion, probably completely and totally unconstitutional. But more than that, it is an incumbent incumbent protection policy. If you were to impose limits like this, requiring judges to step down if they have cases where – for example, lawyers and law firms had donated $1,000 or more to them, you would put judges out of business. The only people who would be able to run for judge were essentially really, really rich people who could self-finance their campaigns um, or... People who get appointed to the bench and then are able, because of name recognition or whatever, they're able to get a bunch of endorsements. Um, This is not going to happen. Interestingly, in the Journal Sentinel today, it says these judges who are pushing this, um, they've been on the bench for over a total of over like 1,100 years, and they've participated in at least 150 judicial elections. Here's the question the reporter should have asked. How many of those judicial elections were contested? My guess is... Of those 150 judicial elections, probably less than 5%. The problem... In this state, in my opinion at least, when it comes to the judiciary, it is not that you've got money that are involved in some of the races. I understand that there's some lefties who don't like the fact that conservatives keep getting elected to the Supreme Court, and so they're trying to blame dark money. The big problem with the judiciary is we have judges to get elected and reelected and reelected and reelected running unopposed. We need to do things to get more people to run, not make it harder to raise money so people can run. Big Thing number 1 coming up in just a couple minutes. It's 9 o'clock. Good morning, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, coming up in less than 25 minutes. Governor Walker wants permission to drug test welfare recipients, and heads are exploding. We will discuss. But I want to start with big story of the day, uh, what I think is one of the most talkable and big stories of the day, This story out of the Slinger area that raises some very interesting questions. If you haven't heard it, here's the way Channel 6 was reporting it. A retired Slinger high school band teacher has now been accused of sexually assaulting a student. Now, you might say, okay, Jeff, wait a second. what's, What's the issue here? Band teacher... Assaulting student, okay, with the open and shut case, did he do it or didn't he? Well, it gets a little bit more interesting because the alleged sexual assault happened almost two decades ago. Here's the way they reported: Retired Slinger High School band teacher is facing sexual assault charges. Sixty-six-year-old David Hankey of Slinger faces one count of sexual assault of a student by a school staff. That is a felony, according to the criminal complaint. The victim in this case is now 34 years old. The alleged sexual assault occurred when the victim was a student at Slinger High School and Henke was her band teacher. He has been retired from Slinger High School since 2012. He worked at the school for 37 years. The complaint says the victim told investigators that in either 1999 or 2000, When she was 16 or 17, she was invited to his home in Hartford after school. The alleged victim said he offered her beer, which she drank, and they talked, and he eventually invited her to take a look at the basement. In the basement, the complaint says the victim told investigators that he offered to give her a back massage, uh, etc., etc. She told investigators the massage quickly turned into inappropriate touching. She froze. She did not know what to do. All right, so she says, I went to this guy's house back in 1999 or 2000, and he touched me inappropriately. It is now 2000. 2000- 17. All right. According to the complaint, the victim said she never spoke of this again until college. She said she and the teacher never spoke about what happened and acted as if nothing had happened between them. She said that she didn't want to ruin her friendship with him, but she didn't trust him, never went to the house. In late October, early November of 2001, so you know, 15, 16 years ago, the victim told investigators that he came to visit her at college. She said he took her out to dinner and provided her with cocktails. The victim said she was very drunk and thought... He would be taking her back to the dorm, but instead he took her to a hotel, according to the complaint. The victim said it was awkward and she just wanted to go home. She said she found some people to hang out with for a bit, but eventually found herself back with him, who was upset that she was hanging out with other people. The victim said she laid laid down on a bed in the hotel room and pretended to sleep, and that's when she alleges that he inappropriately touched her again, um, etc., etc. According to the complaint, in 2004 or 2005, which would be— 11, 12 years ago, she wrote an anonymous email to the Slinger High School principal. Um, She did not respond to emails from high school officials requesting her name. In 2016, she told investigators she sent another email to the principal, this time including her name and the specific allegations. He taught at the high school from 1975 through through 2012, and now he has been charged. All right, now you listen to this, and of course you say, gosh, if this guy really did it, I mean, that's just awful. I mean, just absolutely awful. But let me ask the the other question here. Let us say that you were—think of where you were in 1999 or 2000. Think of what you were doing—now, Hondo, maybe you've got a better memory than I do—but If somebody said, gee, Hondo, you know, July of 1999, you touched me inappropriately and you didn't do it. I'm just throwing this out there. Would you be able to prove you didn't do it? Could you recreate where you were in July of 1999? And my producer, Hondo, is shaking his head. No, no. I mean, see, that's, that, that, that's part of the thing. Somebody says, this person did something like this to me, something very, very terrible, and they did it a very, very long time ago, uh, but I didn't tell anybody at the time, didn't tell anybody for 10 or 15 years, and now allegations like this circle. the re- surface. The reason you have a statute of limitations is because we make a decision at a certain point in time, that it's just not fair to expect people to have to defend themselves against allegations from years and years and years ago. If somebody says, hey, Hondo, you did something last Tuesday night, well, at least, you know, then he's got a chance to go back and say, all right, this, I can I can recreate where I was on Tuesday. I wasn't at this hotel. I wasn't in Madison. I wasn't anywhere. Here Here's where I was. Here were the witnesses. Here's the witnesses. If, on the other hand— you know the allegation is, hey, July of nineteen ninety nine. Who can prove, you know, where they were in July of nineteen ninety nine? And so that's one of the reasons why we have statute of lim- statutes of limitation, because we say after a certain point it's not fair to hold people accountable because, well, they just don't have a chance to prove or disprove the allegations against them. For some crimes, there is no statute of limitations. Murder, because it is so serious. There's no statute of limitations. As a general rule, the statute of limitations is six years for offenses like this. It's been changed a couple times by the legislature, and my understanding is that any allegations like this, charges can be brought up until the time the alleged victim turns 45. So you could have somebody who, again, in their 30s, alleges something happened when you know they were a teenager, and that would be within the statute of limitations. I look. If this guy did this, I have absolutely no love lost for him at all, and, and you want to have somebody that's accountable. But at the same time, if you have somebody, teacher for 30-some years, apparently no, no no other reports of misconduct, and now you have these allegations surface. Here's my question. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Is it fair? To make people defend themselves against allegations of this nature that occurred two decades ago, is that just too long? Is it unfair? Now, again, like I can say that this case clearly is brought under the statute of limitations. The legislatures have kept pushing it out and out. Is it fair to make somebody have to defend themselves against allegations from two decades ago, or is this such a horrible, horrible crime that, that it doesn't matter when you did it, you should be held accountable for it, and you shouldn't get off on a technicality like how long ago the crime was committed. Is it fair to bring a case like this this long after the events? 414 799 That's the accident Mortgage Toll Free Talk line. What do you think? We discuss in two minutes. 917 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. 919 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Now, don't get me wrong. This this segment is not intended to defend somebody who's accused as a teacher of molesting a student. But what's interesting to me is you have this case that's now being brought out in Washington County against a retired band teacher. Guy's been retired for a number of years now. A former student alleges back – At the turn of the century, 1999 or 2000, the guy had inappropriate contact with. There was inappropriate touching, didn't tell anybody at the time, but now I'm coming forward 16 or 17 years later. Is it fair— to make him defend these allegations? And, and I guess, how do you defend the, the allegations? Like I was saying, if somebody, if somebody said, you did something last Tuesday, uh, you know, well, at least then you have a chance to say, no, I wasn't with that person last Tuesday. I was somewhere else, and you'd be able to bring witnesses in and obtain records. It, when, when this much time has passed, it's almost impossible to deny that. Now, that, that's, again, assuming that the thing didn't happen. Let's start with Heather in Milwaukee. Heather, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Heather.
4: Um, so I understand that it's probably difficult for him to defend himself going back so long, but right. I think that's where you have to have faith in the police work that would essentially investigate it. But mm-hmm. as a victim of that type of thing, you don't quite even realize the repercussions of that behavior until you're in your 30s. And it doesn't surprise me at all that she's coming to light now, and maybe she brought it up a couple years ago but didn't quite know how to handle it, Mm -hmm. because you get to an age of maturity where you realize how inappropriate that really Mm -hmm. was and the repercussions that it had on you. And I wholeheartedly think that if that really happened, she should have brought it to light for closure for herself and maybe prevention of harm to other people.
0: What if it didn't happen?
4: well then that's where you have to have faith in the police and investigation that it won't happen and that nobody else would say anything similar to that happened but and if it happened to her you know there's a good chance it might have happened to someone else and this might bring to light that
0: kind yeah, of yeah i mean that that you you would you would think just it's you know speaking in general terms that if you had somebody and again not talking about this case in particular but if you had somebody who was Molesting students, that there would be a bunch of students that would have molested. Just like if, if there's an allegation that had a priest who was molesting altar boys, you would think that there would be more than one altar boy that had been molested. Do you. Yeah, I would agree. How, from the perspective of an investigation, again, I'm, if this happened, don't get me wrong, I'm not sympathetic to the guy at all. I'm just right. trying to say, you know, is it, is it possible to recreate these events after that much time has passed?
4: Well, I certainly don't think you can say, well, I was, you know, at dinner with my wife 25 years ago because right. you won't really remember those right. specifics, like you said. But I think that there would be enough other factors that could come to light through a quality investigation mm-hmm. that you're going to be able to determine whether or not there's any validity to right. what that woman is saying. Yeah, and I and think that she deserves that chance to have it investigated.
0: Got it. No, thanks. For, well, and see, and again, the the the... The, the fact that there's allegations, and this gets to be a very dicey point as well, I mean, it's still going to be the burden of the, the state to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that this happened. And so, I mean, that gets to the point that you're talking about, Heather. You know, if, if, it's, just a, if it's just a he said, she said type of thing, and, and there's nothing more than that, is that going to be enough to get over that standard of reasonable doubt? If the police go out and investigate and aren't able to come up with any sort of corroborating evidence, that probably makes the prosecution again harder because you have to prove it at the same time though the fact that you now have criminal charges that were filed that's going to follow this guy around for the rest of his life i mean this this will be the the story and again i'm not i'm not cutting him slack because if he did it he, he deserves everything he gets but he's in a position now where where how do you now that these allegations are out there now that the charges are out there it doesn't matter from the perspective of his reputation whether he's convicted or not because that these allegations are are in fact out there uh the, like I say the statute of limitations for most things is six years for precisely this thing for sexual assault of a student by a teacher it's the victim has until the age of forty five or at least the, the state can bring charges on behalf of a victim until the age of forty five interesting subject to debate. And again, it's because it is such a sensitive thing and because we do not want people taking advantage of and exploiting you know, children. That's why you, you want to give people the longest period of time to come forward with their stories. I don't know how this one is going to turn out, but um, I, I, I always wrestle with this. If somebody says you did something 15, 20 years ago, how do you prove or disprove that? It's 924 Jeff Wagner. 620 WTMJ stick around. It really does kind of it, it pains me it pains me to say this, but you know what? The newspaper has been going after Attorney General Brad Schimmel. I am a friend of Brad Schimmel's. I've known Brad Schimmel for years and years. I think he does a great job. But you know what? Every once in a while. I think sometimes appearances do matter um, the The report is out there that apparently what Schimmel did. do you know what challenge coins are uh, they 're big in the military um, I, I go I do this thing for for Navy Week every year and I collect a bunch of these. But bunch of the military guys, they have all the different challenge coins from the different military things. And, and what they do is the idea is you're, you're in a bar or something, and if you, you, you come along one of your colleagues and you, you present them with a challenge coin, they have to give you one of theirs or else they have to buy a drink. It, it's They have these different rituals, but they're kind of cool things. So Schimmel, who is very proud, appropriately, of the work the Department of Justice does, um, goes out and gets a bunch of these... The, these challenge coins, spends about $10,000 on them. And on one side of the challenge coins, they apparently um, have his name, Wisconsin Attorney General Brad, G. Shimmel, Brad D. Schimmel. And on the other side, it says Wisconsin Department of Justice, K-A-E-D. Um, that is the acronym for kicking ass every day, <laughs> All right, which is, which is of course, their their motto. Jane Matanier, you look like you want to weigh in. <laughs> Interesting choice of words, right? Exactly. But so that, that's that's what it is. is. They, they're These challenge coins, and, and they pass them out to, to each other. And I mean, I understand it's a morale building thing. I I get it. I think maybe if I was the Attorney General, I I would have come up with sort of a different motto. But that's that's just me. But they took taxpayer dollars and did this. They they spent ten grand in taxpayer dollars, and I, I understand there's this huge budget. But you know what appearances do matter, and it is going to be very interesting to see how we've got judges that want $20,000 a year raises we've got pushes to have prosecutors get raises and you have the attorney general spending 10 grand on these challenge coins if if it were me because appearances do matter I think I would have and I think the challenge coins are a great idea and they're morale builders. I think I would have maybe dipped into my campaign fund or something and taken the ten grand and, and and bought it. I think that that's great. I like Brad Schimmel. I think he's doing a great job. I agree with him on most, if not all, of the issues that he's approached. In this particular thing, I, I do think it was a little bit it was just a little bit nearsighted to not realize how the appearance of this is. And the truth is, every time he goes in front of the legislature now and pleads poverty on this issue or that issue, the question that some Democrat is going to ask is, wait, you know, you say you need money for this. You're the guy that's spending $10,000 on challenge coins that say kicking ass every day or have the acronym. He should have paid for it out of it. If he was going to do it, he should have paid for it out of his campaign account. Just saying. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. You hear him every game day, and his voice has become synonymous with the Packers' football operation for an entire generation of fans. But what was it that led him to Lambeau almost two decades ago? Wayne Larravee steps outside the broadcast booth to join Packers one-on-one with Greg Matzik. And you can hear it tonight. at 6.07, sponsored by Pella Windows and Doors Wisconsin, New Generation RV, and Sound Decisions of Racine. In less than 30 minutes... It's what I call dealer's choice, the most talkable topic of the day, perhaps. An ode to Obama. Stick around. All right. We had Governor Scott Walker on the program yesterday talking about the state of the state, where he sees Wisconsin going over the course of the next couple of years, things that he still wants to finish as governor. And one of the things that we got to talking about was the fact that he wants Wisconsin to be a leader when it comes to various sorts of reforms part of the problem is though in some different areas the state isn't the exclusive decider for example you need permission of the federal government to try certain types of initiatives and i think it would be fair to say that over the last eight years um There hasn't been a lot of cooperation when it comes to some of the initiatives that Governor Walker would like to see implemented, Um, not a lot of cooperation with the Obama administration. One of the things that Walker has been talking about for quite a while is the whole idea of requiring people who are on food stamps to have to submit to drug testing. And the phrase the governor used yesterday, is he said, I think entitlement programs like food stamps should be Trampolines, not hammocks. The The idea being this is we want to help people, but the idea is we want to help them transition out of entitlement programs and transition into like meaningful, meaningful jobs, getting off the dole, those type of things. And I think the governor's point is that if you have people who are, well, you know, using drugs, the chances of them being able to, to make that transition are a lot less so the idea would be hey we want to catch we want to see if we can identify people who are using drugs and then we want to use those tests as a way of trying to force them off of drugs instead of allowing them to continue their dependency and us enabling them say by providing them with food stamps that's the way the argument works now uh, there's a story out today about how what happened was wisconsin asked the federal government for a waiver And the Obama administration, because right now, food stamps are run by the federal government. Right now, the federal government says, nope, you you cannot drug test. And so what happened is the Obama administration, there was a waiver that was requested. There was a lawsuit that was filed. Um, Wisconsin has gotten nowhere thus far. But, of course, there is a new sheriff coming to town eight days from now. And... The position of the Trump administration on a number of different issues is probably going to be markedly different than the position of the Obama administration. Now there's a story out of Madison that uh, you've got somebody who, again, works with the Food and Nutrition Service saying, well, Trump can't simply give a waiver. You would have to have a change in federal law. Well, okay, you've got Republicans who control the Senate, you've got Republicans who control the House of Representatives. If you had a sympathetic president, my guess is you could have a change in the law. So I want to discuss this for one segment. Our numbers are 414-799-1620, 800 877 That's the Accident Mortgage Toll Free Talk Line. Let's forget for a minute how you would accomplish this, whether it's an actual change in the law or whether it's just changing the regulations or trial programs or whatever. But let's Let us assume for the sake of argument that if it was a good idea – It could happen. What do you think about the underlying idea? Should we be requiring drug testing for people who are on food stamps as a condition to stay on food stamps? Uh, Is it worth the effort? Is this unnecessarily punitive? What do you think? Should Walker pursue this? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Toll Free Talk line. If you're on the line, please hold on. We discuss in two and a half minutes. 940 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 944 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. One of the things that Governor Walker would like to see is the ability of the state of Wisconsin to drug test people who are receiving food stamps. Right now, the federal government does not allow that. And I I guess there's a division of authority of thinking some people think that maybe you could get a waiver and that would happen. Other people say, no, you need a change of federal law. But regardless of how what you would have to do to make it happen. Is it a good idea to drug test people who are getting benefits like food stamps, or is this just a waste of time and effort? 414-799-1620. Now, I will say this. At the the place where I work, as a condition of employment, before you are hired— you you have to submit to a drug test and you know any job offer that is made is conditional on you passing the drug test and that's perfectly consistent with the law I honestly I don't we, we don't have I don't believe random drug testing here I the issues never came up I peed in a jar 20 years ago and I've just never heard anything more about it but but, you know, there are situations where you have, you know, um, certainly in the private sector, you, for jobs, I mean, you know, some employers do do drug tests. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty is the number. Let's start with Steve in Greenfield. Steve, good morning. You're in 620 WTMJ.
5: Hey, morning, Jeff. What do you think? I agree with the governor on this one. I think, uh, you know, I think it would be a step in the right direction. Um, you know, get the families uh, the help they need if there is an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think it would be one step closer to you know, also getting them off the dependency uh, as far as the, the food stamps and everything go.
0: Okay, let me ask you this, because a lot of times the devil is in the details. Let's say that I'm collecting food stamps for a family of four, okay? I'm the principal breadwinner. I go, I pee in the jar, I test positive for some for some drug or some prohibited drug. Would you cancel my food stamps? Would you require me to get treatment what what would you require? What would ha- what would the consequence of me failing the drug test be?
2: I think if they did uh,
5: something where um, if they came up positive for a drug test, uh, offer them the help they need, right. um, and then give them a second chance. And okay. if that doesn't work, then. Right.
0: So that's you wouldn't pull. You wouldn't like first time somebody violates this. You wouldn't pull the food stamps, but you'd say you have to get some form of treatment. You'd offer the treatment and then have additional consequences down the line if it kept happening.
2: Yeah, I, I feel it would be fair. You know, it'd be a step in the right direction that way.
0: Got it. Okay. No, thanks, God. Because I, I mean, that is. I mean, see that that's. I mean, that's one of the things. Okay. You know, you're you're the you're the principal. You, you you provide food for the family for you get those food stamps you test positive you're going to lose your food stamps which does impact you but of course it also impacts the kids so I mean I'm just that that's the question I throw out what are the what are the consequences of course the other question becomes if you do this it, it, it there's going to be a cost probably a relatively large cost that is associated with this I guess the question becomes is the is the cost. Are you going to catch enough people? Are enough people going to violate this to make it worth the expense? I mean, if you're only going to, if there's only one out of every 2,000 that you think might get caught in this, you know, is it worth spending the money to test everybody? I just throw that out there. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. Jeff in Wauwatosa. Jeff, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ.
1: Hey, Jeff, I absolutely do think they should be tested for three reasons. First, um, I think the food stamps are indirectly enabling them to get the narcotics because it it gives them the – they would not be spending the money. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, two, I don't think it's right for uh, people to be paying um, for for that. And then, three, if they got off the pot, then they would stop buying a lot of munchies and potato chips and they would probably be getting uh, better balanced meals.
0: Um, uh, (laughs) got it. Thanks. I mean, I I got. I have to think that one through. You know, I guess. I I, see. I I wrestle with this entire thing because my my first question would: Am I opposed to this in theory? And and my answer is is no. I'm not opposed to it in in theory. I I guess I'm always about cost benefit type of stuff, and by that I mean how much something is going to cost versus what you are going to get out of this. I certainly agree with the governor that you want entitlement programs, like I say, to like he says, to be that trampoline, not not that hammock. And I also agree that if you have people who are, you know, caught in drug addiction and things like that, the the chances of these entitlement programs being the hammock are certainly a, a lot greater. So I, I'm all in favor of all that. I just I do wonder, I do wonder how many people you're actually going to catch. And I wonder you know, what the program is going to be because I don't know that you can necessarily throw people off of food stamps the first time that there is a positive test. There has to be some meaningful treatment um, offered. I will tell you, though, I am all in favor of anything that helps get people off of drugs. 414-799-1620 is the number. Nick in Oak Creek. Nick, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ.
5: Good morning. What do you think? Um, well, I think it's, not the right solution for the problem i mean you got to get to the root of things i personally um i grew up as uh in a single parent household on welfare mm-hmm. it was horrible um, my mom did everything she could to raise us going to school full-time working you know we were dirt poor now she has a phd i own a company my brothers have served in the military things like that we we buck the trend on that so if one person can be safe from it you cannot put everybody in the same bucket
0: but your Um, mom wasn't using drugs i would imagine no wasn't
5: using drugs but this this is this whole thing is you know if everybody you're assuming everybody that's on public assistance is on has a problem and that's why they're on public assistance some people have just got the short end of the stick it's harder and harder to find a good job to support kids You, you you lose your job you lose money you can't pay your bills your credit goes down nobody wants to hire you because you're you're poor and you don't have good credit you know it's compiling and compiling, so people are going to grab at whatever they can to survive
0: you see and I that think... that gets to the point you're making is a question I was asking, which is how many people would would you catch if if we if we did this drug testing. And, and 75 out of 100 tested positive, and I don't think it would be that many, but, but that would tell you you have a problem. On the other hand, if, you know, one out of 100 tested positive, then you raise the question of, okay, of, of all the different things that we can do to try to help get people off of, you know, the welfare programs or whatever, does it really make sense to spend the money drug testing? a hundred people, if if every hundred people you test, only one is going to test positive, it's, you know, I mean, you're, you're casting this wide net you're, and spending all this money.
5: You are absolutely correct. Take a look at the state of Florida. The listeners should look. Look up the state of Florida and their drug testing program that they did for the exact same thing. They dropped it after they found very little drug tested positive, um, and right. it basically costs more to give the drug test than it would be to hand out the stamps. I mean... If you're looking at cost per capita of what exactly somebody on welfare and their children cost, I think spread out over you know, your communities, it's very minute compared to the cost per capita of, your, of some state employees, mm-hmm. which should have stringent testing you know, programs in place, and they should be held to no higher standard. I think, I think people are frowning upon public assistance, trying to get people to walk on their own two feet. But then again, if there is somebody out there struggling that is using recreational drugs or something, don't penalize the children, because taking away benefits from them or taking their parent away from them, you know, what about the kids? Nobody's talking about well, that. Well,
0: right, and, that, and that, again, thank, I mean, see, and that, that's the other question, too, is, is to what, if, if you want to identify somebody, and again, I am all in favor i 'm all in favor of identifying people that have drug problems you know, because, and then trying to get them the, the help that they need because it 's true if you 've got somebody who 's got a, a drug problem, however you want to define that, you know their chances of getting a good job or getting off the welfare programs the entitlement programs is is obviously a lot less. But the question becomes how how do you do, how do you best do that identification in all honesty if i were going to be if i were the governor and i was going to be asking for waivers and ways to approach issues with food stamps for example i would be focusing more on on the stuff that you're allowed to buy and we've talked about this on multiple occasions before i mean if i was concerned about food stamp fraud and trying to provide you know making sure people were eating healthy i would be Again, trying to put limits on what you can buy with food stamps to bring it more in line with, like, the the WIC program as opposed to, here, you know, buy the lobster, buy the filet mignon. And I'm not saying everybody on food stamps does that, but I would be in favor of putting limits on that. Hey, you can't use it to buy chips ahoy cookies, those type of things. That's, I think, where I would concentrate my efforts. I don't know how this entire thing is going to play out. Before we do it, though, I I do think I'd like to see the cost-benefit analysis. How many people do you think you're going to catch if you implement this and if it survives the court challenges, which would be inevitable? 954, Jeff Wagner, 620, WTMJ, coming up in just a few minutes. It's an ode to Obama. Stick around. It's nine fifty seven. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ, eighteen degrees outside. If you're out and about, I think the roadways are okay. Be careful on be careful on the sidewalks, at least in the neighborhood where I live. Um the sidewalks last night and this morning were an icy, icy mess. And as I was saying earlier, my little dog did, did not understand that you, you can't you cannot run full blast on ice without bad things happening, if not to her because She's low to the ground. Bad things happening to her six-foot, one-inch father, who who things could, in fact, happen to. We actually, So I actually caught on. We have a grass boulevard in front of the house. I'm thinking, okay, we're going to go out on the grass boulevard, and that's where we're going to take our walk. Um, why did a congressman from Wisconsin, who was likely assured re-election, decide not to go back to Washington, D.C.? Former congressman Reed Ribble reflects on his time in office and examines the state of Capitol Hill today. Heading into 2017, he joins Wisconsin's Afternoon News at four. 4- 34. um Reed Ripple, one of the really good ones. I mean, just, I saw him about a month and a half ago at a dinner, just one of the really, really good ones. And the classic, a classic example of what I would call a citizen legislator, guy very successful in business, who, you know, went to Washington, spent a couple terms there, but did not want to go native and was just did enough? Had enough? Um, the interesting thing about that is, of course, his replacement, Mike Gallagher, uh, who was just sworn in what last week or so. Uh, Mike Gallagher is going to be a rising star in in Congress. So um, the people of that congressional district, you were well represented by Reed Ribble, and uh, you, you are going to be well represented by Mike Gallagher. I, I pretty much guarantee that. This is one of these stories that just you kind of just shake your head. Uh Channel 6 had it the other day. Um this this woman who is a crossing guard um she lives she lives on like 7th and Washington. Her her van. All right, she comes out one day and the rear window of the van is smashed out. So she's like, "All right, well this sometimes stuff happens, so she pays, she has it fixed." Um then she comes out a day later and the same rear window after she's gotten it fixed It's smashed, and this time, like, somebody has, like, sliced her tire as well. And so she's doing these stories, going, I I don't know why somebody is doing this. It's just, it's pure vandalism. It's vandalism just for the sake of of vandalism. And, you know, she's talking about how she can't, it stops her from being able to get to work as a crossing guard and things like that. Uh, Police are looking for suspects in the case. I I appreciate that. You know, good luck. You know, good luck trying to find that. It's just, you see these stories, and you wonder what goes through people's minds. I mean, seriously— who enjoy? why do you just say, here, we're going to go out, we're going to see, here's a piece of property that somebody else owns, I know, let's just bust out the window for fun. Oh, they fixed the window, good, let's bust it out and let's cut the tire for good measure. I mean, really, is, that's what, is that is what it's come to nowadays?